Caleb and I both have mentioned uh, throughout the beginning of this year that uh, a number of our sermons were going to be centered around the mission statement that uh, has been put before us by the leadership of this congregation. And I will just remind us of what that is. It's strengthening our family and influencing our community by embodying the truth in love. And that's not just uh, some fancy letters to put on the wall. I've been a part of organizations before that did their due diligence to come up with a mission statement, but it was disconnected from the work that was actually being done. And that's not our intention. It's not the intention of the elders here to just have a fancy statement that is associated with this congregation, but to have something that is descriptive and a reminder of the work that we are doing and how we're going to go about that work. And so to help promote that mission-mindedness in the congregation, uh, Caleb and I have planned to preach sermons that point us toward uh, those purposes. And so today, you might say, is a mission statement Sunday because both of us are looking at aspects of the mission statement, and in particular, the second part. Caleb and I, for the purpose of planning, have divided it into three parts. There's the edification component, strengthening our family, and then there is the influencing our community part of it, the evangelistic, uh, evangelistic aspect. And then the third part is by embodying the truth in love, and that latter part permeates the first too. It's not a separate aspect. It's part of how we go about doing the first two because any work separated from the truth of God is futile and pointless work. And any effort to try to strengthen people and to save people that is absent and devoid of love is not reflective of the way our Lord approached this work when he was on earth. And so three parts, but they all work together to help us do our job as Christians, as a family, and in our community. And so focusing on the second aspect, uh, influencing our community by embodying the truth in love. To accomplish this, there are a number of attitudes and behaviors that are essential. There is a way that we conduct ourselves to help us better accomplish uh, the work of influencing our community. And among those components or attributes or attitudes or behaviors that we're to embody is that of compassion. Compassion is essential to our work at influencing not only the people in the body of Christ, but the people outside the body of Christ as well. Eventually, our lesson is going to take us to John chapter 9 this morning as we look at a situation faced by Jesus where he demonstrated great compassion. And you just kind of as a summary statement, you might recall that's where he healed the blind man by making mud or clay from his saliva, saliva and the dirt. And he put that on this individual's eyes in order to 
heal him. At least that was the physical action in which Jesus engaged in order to heal him. And I'm entitling this sermon this morning, Getting Your Hands Dirty to Open the Eyes of Blind People. Getting Your Hands Dirty to Open the Eyes of Blind People. That's a statement that reflects the compassion that Jesus showed and that you and I must show in our effort to help people. So just from my first point of observation, I want you to see that compassion is not just a word I pulled out of the air uh, this morning. It is one that was attached. It's an attitude and a behavior that was attached to Jesus in everything that he did. And so our first point of observation this morning is just this. To go through some passages in the New Testament very quickly to see that compassion is a key theme in the life and teaching of Jesus. And I'm just going to give us these very quickly and then kind of summarize what happened in those passages. In Matthew Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, we read that Jesus saw the multitude of people and after seeing them and while seeing them, he was, the Bible says, moved with compassion because they were scattered as sheep without a shepherd. Jesus looked at the people in the world and he saw them as sheep who needed shepherding and they didn't have that. And that appealed to his inner being and moved him to compassion. Moving just a few chapters down to Matthew chapter 14 and verse 14. Remember when he fed the 5,000. That act of feeding them actually began with Jesus being moved with compassion and healing the sick that were among them. Then feeding of the 4,000 in Matthew chapter 15 and verse 32, we see the very same thing. Jesus was moved with compassion. Then we can jump to chapter 18 of Matthew, and you might remember this from our study of the parables, but the parable of the unforgiving servant was used by Jesus to teach the necessity of compassion when dealing with people. Jumping forward a couple of chapters to Matthew chapter 20, verse 34. Jesus on exiting Jericho encounters two blind men sitting on the side of the road. And Matthew 20 and verse 34 says that Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes and gave them sight. Then you jump to Mark, the book of Mark, Mark chapter 1, verse 41. Jesus encounters a leper. And out of compassion, he heals this man of his leprosy. Moving to Luke chapter 7, verse 13. uh, Jesus encounters the widow of Nain, who a widowed woman who has now lost her only son. And it's, as we see it, the funeral procession for this only child. And Jesus raises this child from the grave because, or from the dead, because he had, the Bible says, compassion toward her. In Luke chapter 10, the parable of the Good Samaritan, what was it all about? This Samaritan man who had compassion on the one who had fallen among thieves 
in a situation where others who were expected to show compassion and help sought another path to to, uh, get away from that occasion and opportunity. Luke 15, the parable of the prodigal son, is more is less about the prodigal and more about the absence of compassion in the hearts and minds of the Jews. And that depicted by the older brother and his lack of compassion toward the younger brother. The point is that each of these situations from Jesus' life and Jesus' teaching demonstrate the necessity of compassion. Compassion manifested in our hearts that will give of its time, that will do the necessary work, and that will even get its hands dirty to help people who are in need. And so just first, the first point out of the gate before we ever get to John chapter 9, please notice that compassion is a theme that was consistent in the life of Jesus and manifested in his teaching to those who heard him first. And now in the pages of the Bible that you and I have as a guide to how to become Christians and how to live as Christians. Now let's turn our attention to John chapter 9. And let's notice how Jesus was willing to get his hands dirty to open the eyes of blind people. We don't really have time to read this whole chapter. What what I'm going to do is just step through it in summary fashion and make note of some of the highlights of the chapter. I would encourage you, though, to go back through this chapter after this lesson today with with a mindset of compassion and look at how that played into what happened with this man. So let's just summarize the chapter briefly. In verse 1, Jesus encounters a man who was blind from birth. Brethren, don't miss that. Blind from birth. This man had never physically seen anything he never it doesn't say he became blind through a working accident or he became blind because of some sickness that manifested later in his life this man was blind from birth a very difficult and challenging life he certainly must have lived because of this in verse 2 the disciples ask a question They see the man's plight. He's blind from birth. And their question is, who sinned? Was it this man or his parents so that he was born blind? And so they associate his predicament with sin on somebody's part. But Jesus clears it up at verse 3. He says, neither. It's not the case that this man's predicament is the result of his sin or someone else's sin, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. This is going to be an occasion for Jesus as God to demonstrate the work of God. 
And then you get down to number six and you see the mechanics of what Jesus did. Jesus spat on the ground, he made clay, and he anointed the man's eyes with clay. And, you know, in my mind at least, I'm thinking, was that necessary? It it wasn't. It wasn't necessary for him to get his hands dirty. It's not like there's a bottle of Germex over there where he can go clean his hands up real quick or there's a sink and a hand towel right there next to him. He, He got down in the dirt and for whatever reason, and we'll talk more about that in a moment, he got his hands dirty and put the dirt that he formed or the mud or clay that he formed onto the man's eyes as eyes as part of this miraculous healing process. And then at verse 7, Jesus says, go wash in the pool of Siloam. So he went, he washed, and he came back seeing, the Bible says. Then at verse 8, the neighbors, those who knew this man, said, is not this he who sat and begged? Not so much is not this the man that was born blind, has never seen, and now he sees, but this is the one who sat and begged because they knew him as a beggar. And they asked in verse 10, how were your eyes open? They asked him. Verse 11, he told them, a man named Jesus has done this for me or to me. Verse 13, they brought him who formerly was blind to the Pharisees. There's no celebration They bring him to the Pharisees because, verse 14 says, this event happened on the Sabbath day. And the Pharisees have a certain view about what things could be done and what things couldn't be done on the Sabbath day. And so the Pharisees, at verse 15, ask the man how this happened. And so he explains again how all of this transpired. But in verse 16, we see their focus is on the Sabbath day. This not not a stipulation from the law of Moses, but an amalgamation of their own views coupled with the law of Moses where they could accuse people of doing things they weren't supposed to do on the Sabbath day, many of which had nothing to do with the law of Moses. And so at verse 16, Their focus became the Sabbath day, and it became the cause of a dispute about the miracle. It's interesting that their view of what can be done and can't be done on the Sabbath day outweighed the fact that an obvious miracle had taken place. But they're so resistant, verses 17 and 18, that they denied that the man was blind to begin with. There must must be something going on here Uh, that this man now sees, and so they're willing to deny and to try to find an excuse for what has taken place. So verses 19 through 23, they called his parents, who affirmed his blindness, but notice his parents distanced themselves from the situation because of fear of what might happen to them. Now think about it. Their son, blind from birth, can now see. And yet they're distancing themselves from him because of what might happen to them at the hand of the Pharisees if they get too involved in this situation. Verse 24, the Pharisees tell the man essentially to deny the miracle, 
to call Jesus a sinner, and in so doing, he would be giving glory to God. But in verse 25, he answered and said, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I know, that I was blind and now I see. In verses 26 through 24, the interrogation continued until they eventually cast this man out of their presence. But look at verse 35, Jesus heard that they had cast him out and when he had found him, he said to them, do you believe in the son of God? And he answered and said, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? Verse 37, Jesus says, you have both seen him. You've seen him. He who was born blind, who had never seen, has now seen the Son of God, and it is he who is talking with you. Verse 38, then he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Verse 39, Jesus says, for judgment I have come into this world that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may be made blind. Then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to him, Are we blind also? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say we see, therefore your sin remains. And so a summary of sorts of this particular passage. But let's notice a few things about it. First, Jesus encountered this man who was blind from birth. And we learn also that he's one who sat and begged. And you could think and your mind can wander, you know, a lot about how this man was treated in life, how he might have been rejected. You wonder why he seemed so distanced, distanced from his family, uh, that he is a beggar, not being taken care of evidently by anyone in his family, one that his his Parents found it easily easy to dis distance themselves from when they their own safety and well-being uh, came uh, into play and was in jeopardy. But when Jesus encountered him, he was treated much differently. Jesus didn't evaluate and think about what kind of reflection it would have on him if he engaged this man. He's already been accused of one who eats with sinners and associates with sinners. And so the stigma is already there, but it doesn't bother him. He's willing to engage this man who has been blind from birth. And Jesus gets his hands dirty to help him see for the first time. In Jesus' case, very literally, he got his hands dirty but there is some social stigma here. There is some public impression stigma here where you might also say he got his hands dirty here as well. And the fact that he would be accused of associating with someone who was a sinner, though this man was not responsible for his situation. He was blind from birth. And it was not the product of any of his own doing. Now, the healing happened on the Sabbath. So that became the focus and the cause of criticism. Here is a people so steeped 
in their religion that goes above and beyond what God has required, that they can miss an obvious miracle, they can pass by an obvious occasion where compassion has helped a man in need, and they focus inward, and their pseudo-law about the Sabbath day became the focus of the situation. Not, not any of the important things that were taking place, but something that was near and dear to them that became a distraction of what Jesus was really doing and demonstrating. This became the focus. And then for the man simply explaining what happened to him was cause for ridicule and rejection. All he did was explain what happened. He didn't cause what happened. He just explained it. And these individuals, again, so steeped in a pseudo self-made religion, cast him out and rejected him. One that Jesus was willing to receive. One that Jesus was willing to heal. One that the compassion of Christ saw something in that they couldn't see. They had just assumed ridicule him and reject him. And so they did. They cast him out. When Jesus found him after he had been rejected by people who should have accepted him, he gave the man an opportunity to reveal his heart. Something that nobody else to this point had been willing to do. They weren't concerned about his heart. They weren't concerned about what was on the inside. All they could see was, one, what was on the outside, and two, what they had prescribed for themselves as religious people to the point that they were completely missing opportunities that Jesus took advantage of. And so Jesus gave him an opportunity to reveal his heart. And what did he do? He turned to Jesus. Something born out of compassion extended to a man that everyone else had either ascribed as a sinner, responsible for his own problems, or one who was a beggar, and not one that had garnered any close association, even with his family. And in all of this, Jesus exposed a greater blindness than that of the blind man. He exposed the absence of compassion in this society of people. Now that's our second point of observation. Jesus was willing to get his hands dirty for the purpose of opening the eyes of blind people. Not just this man physically, but everyone involved in this scenario had an opportunity and occasion to open their eyes too because of what Jesus had, had done. And yet they were unwilling to do so. Only the blind man was willing to overcome his blindness. Now, one other point of observation this morning in the third place. In this event, we see anything and everything but compassion. Every attitude that could be manifested was on full display except for one, and that was compassion. 
And let's look at some of the individuals, some of the character roles in this narrative that show us some of these attitudes for the purpose, brethren, of making sure that these are not the people we become in our association with the world and in our effort to evangelize the world, let's not be like these people that we are about to consider. Let's be like Jesus and not like these others. So the first ones were the disciples. This man's condition is the product of sinful behavior. He is in his situation because of his own sins or somebody's sins close to him. In other words, he's responsible for his situation. But you and I know that he wasn't because Jesus says that's not the case. But I wonder how many people in the world today have I missed the opportunity to influence for the gospel's sake, or have you, or you and I, missed the opportunity to show compassion toward and to bring to Christ because we had an idea about their situation and their condition that may or may not have been true. These people are getting what they deserve. They, they are in their situation because of their own choosing and their own actions. And you know what? Sometimes that may be true. Sometimes it's not. You know, Romans chapter 14 and verse 7 says, No man lives to himself and no man dies to himself. And I know the context there is that of whether or not eating meats offered to idols was right or wrong, and Paul is trying to get the brethren to consider the implications of their actions and their choices. But the point is a good one, at least in principle here. No one lives to himself and no one dies to himself. And some people in our world today that live a life or look a way that is not appealing to us are in that situation because of somebody else or something else about which they had no control. They're just the victim of circumstance. Time and chance happened to all men. And they didn't choose to be in the situation that they are in. Just like this man, he didn't choose to be blind. That was something that happened to him before he ever had the knowledge that he was blind. And yet his situation, his condition is ascribed to sinful behavior, which just simply was not true. Let's be careful and not be like the disciples and look at people's condition say they're there because of their own choosing, whether it's right or wrong, and then use that as an opportunity to dismiss the person and move on. They're getting what they deserve. No, what they deserve is an opportunity to hear the gospel and to open their blind eyes if they so choose. Let's not be like the disciples and rob them of that opportunity. Number two, the neighbors. Here's the second group of people. Here are the people who knew him. Here are the people who had cause to celebrate a man's change, drastic change in his life situation. 
and to celebrate the fact that a miracle had taken place. But what do they do with it? They know him. Rather than celebrating with him, rather than feeling the compassion that was extended to him, they take him to the Pharisees because this has happened on the Sabbath day. And they're instrumental in the interrogation that follows that. Then you have the Jews. They are so averse to accepting Jesus as who he is, they are willing to deny a miracle and to find an excuse that's not true in order to dismiss everything that's happened. And so they deny the legitimacy of this man's plight. Well, he wasn't blind to begin with. You know, maybe they're thinking, he's been fooling us all along. Then you have the parents, whose self-preservation trumped getting their hands dirty. You know, the Jews were good at that. They could find a way out of doing what was their, their, what was their duty and responsibility to do. You might remember in Mark chapter 7, in verse 11, they used the idea of Corban to get out of the duty and responsibility to their parents. And so here, his parents are more concerned about not getting in trouble. That even if they had compassion for him, they suppressed it to the point of putting him out there on his own and not coming to his aid. And then you have the Jews again who rejected him because he complicated their comfort zone. That's all it was, brethren. He complicated this man and Jesus, the one who showed compassion and healed him, complicated their comfort zone. And it's probably this point that maybe we need to think about more than any other. Do we avoid evangelizing certain populations and certain people because they complicate our comfort zone? This didn't fit what the Jews wanted. And so they couldn't be compassionate toward him because in doing so, that might draw him in. And they didn't want that. They had an idea about what they wanted religion and Christianity, well, religion and their Mosaic law practice and what spiritual and church and God's family and God's people looked like to them. And they didn't want anything to threaten that. And they're a lesson to us this morning about being selective in our effort to evangelize our community, to influence our, our community by embodying the truth in love. They're, they are a lesson to us this morning not to be like them, not to be selective in who we choose to teach the gospel to. Jesus would go where it was unpopular. Jesus would go where he knew he was going to get criticism. Jesus would ignore the traditions of the religious leaders of his day in order to be compassionate and to help people. He's the lesson for us. He's the example for us to follow. Some attitudes 
are counterproductive to Christianity. But compassion is not one of them. We will never go wrong by being compassionate toward people in our world today. Compassion for lost, shepherdless, blind people is essential to our purpose in influencing our community by embodying the truth in love. May this experience from the life of Jesus and what he has taught out of it be a lesson for us about the importance of compassion and the importance of rejecting some of the attitudes that were demonstrated that are counterproductive to our purpose, our cause, and our call. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, you need to obey the gospel. Allow Jesus to open your blind eyes with the gospel through faith, repentance, confession, and baptism and water to have your sins washed away. Why don't you become a child of God this morning? Maybe you're a Christian. Maybe you haven't lived the way that you should, the way that the New Testament teaches. Maybe it's just the case this morning that we need to think about being more compassionate in our work of evangelism to the lost and to mirror the attitudes and behaviors of our Lord as he interacted with blind people who needed to be given sight. Maybe we can learn some lessons and do better in the future. If you're subject to the invitation in any way this morning, we're going to sing a song to encourage, and you have this opportunity to come as we stand and sing. Thank you for listening to this recorded audio of a sermon that was preached at the Roanoke Church of Christ. If you would like to visit us, you can do so at 608 Dallas Drive, Roanoke, Texas, 76262, or you can visit our website at roanokechurchofchrist.org. We hope to see you soon, and may God bless you.